What a, what a great time of worship. Thank you to Daryl and uh, worship team this morning for leading us into to God's presence, helping us focus on him. You know, when, when we see someone whose life, uh, their, their faith is all talk and no walk, we know there's something wrong with that picture. I have a friend who a number of years ago told me a story of some, some extended family that, that he would go to visit. And this extended family was part of a faith community that believed that you should not have a television in your house. And so, you know, there's, there's various kinds of beliefs. I mean, there's some faith communities that say you shouldn't have electricity, you shouldn't have to drive a car, that kind of thing. This particular faith community said you can have a car, you can have other appliances, you can have electricity, but you can't have a TV. And so my friend would go and they, they would visit this family and they would sit in their living room and they would notice, you know, there's no TV in here. But what they came to realize over time is that that piece of furniture that was sitting over there in the corner with a tablecloth over it and a lamp on it was actually a TV in disguise. And so what this family would do is, they, th this was back in the day when a television was a piece of furniture, you know, it was like, you know, the console, 25-inch TV, like sitting in the corner kind of thing, you know. And so they had this TV sitting there and they, they didn't want anybody to know that they had a TV, so they would cover it up. And then when everybody, when their company left, they would, you know, pull the cover off and they would watch their TV. So, I, I don't know about you, when I hear a story like that of somebody who's, who's talk is one thing. They talk about having faith, but their walk is something completely different. I just, I feel like I need to take a shower, you know, just, I mean, it's just kind of gross, you know, to see that kind of a disconnect. And I, I know none of us wants to have a fake faith. We want to have a genuine faith. And so many of us might, might hear about something like that, and we might say, okay, I want my faith to be more than just talk. I want my faith to be more than just what I believe. So I'm going to move it to the next level. I'm going to get serious about my faith, and I'm going to let it engage my heart. And so maybe you come into a, a setting like this, and, and we worship these, you know, we worship through music, and maybe you say, I'm going to raise my hands, especially on a song when it talks about raising your hands. You know, that, that's okay to do, right? It's, it's okay. You know, uh, anyway, you don't have to. Maybe you're not prompted that way, but, you know, it's okay to raise your hands and express your, your worship that way. It's okay to once in a while say amen and respond to something that you hear. You know, we, we have a, a brother, Phil Anders, that attends here, and he's, he's battling cancer right now. We want to continue to, to pray for him. But I just love having Phil here because every now and then he'll just break out with an amen, praise you Jesus. This is back here in this corner. Some of you can take up for him if you want to. But I can't wait for him to come back because he just expresses himself that way. So it's, it's good to, to bring our faith from our head to our heart and to let it move us and to be moved. But we don't want to stop there either. Because sometimes our, our heart can be moved in a setting like this, and then we can walk out the door and maybe that's the end of it, because our heart gets moved in a different direction. And so what we, what we need to do is to line our head and our heart and our hands. I mean, we, we want them all to be engaged. We, we want a full life faith. That is what the authors of Scripture call us to, is a full life faith, not just in our head. You know we can get any one of those three out of balance, right? 
it can be all in our head. We can learn so much information that that's really all we do with it. We never get moved by it. We never get excited about it. We never act it out. It's all just in our head. Or it can be all in our heart. Man, you might, you might come in here and cry from beginning to end in a service, and it just moves you so much. But maybe you don't even know quite what you're being moved by because you're not engaging your head and then putting it into action. Or you can even have your hands so engaged. You can even be doing so many activities and actions that that's where all of your focus is. And you're not thinking about why you're doing it. And your heart maybe isn't even in it. Maybe you're just going through the motions because somebody told you that's what you're supposed to do. I'm not supposed to have a TV in my living room, so I'll just cover it up. We can get these things so out of balance, but what God calls us to is to bring them in balance so that our head and our heart and our hands are all aligned. That's what transformation looks like. That's what life change looks like, becoming more like Jesus in every area of our life. Romans 8, verse 29 says, For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. See, God wants to change us in every area of our life, holistically, throughout every aspect of our life. He wants to change us. Many of you in this room, I know, have come into personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I don't know what motivated you to come into relationship with Christ. Hopefully, maybe it was forgiveness of your sin. Maybe you recognized, I I have sin, I have ugliness, I have darkness in my life. I need forgiveness for that. I need Jesus to forgive me. Maybe you came to him for for healing because you knew there's something that's too big for you and you need his healing. Those are are good reasons. I don't know what motivated you to come to God for relationship with him, but I'll tell you what motivates God once you're in relationship with him. That is, he wants to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ, the only perfect person who ever walked the planet. And he wants to do that in your head, in your heart, in your hands. And so some of you may be here this morning and maybe you're frustrated with a disconnect. Maybe you're sensing that all three of those aren't aligned. And maybe you're not living out the life that you know is the right life in your head or the life that you feel that you should be living prompted to. We're going to look at three very practical areas this morning where God calls us to align our actions with our feelings, with what we know to be true, And we're going to look at some ways that we can get very practical about living out a full life faith. So if you would turn to Nehemiah chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some white ones there at your seat. You can certainly use your devices, tablets. Uh, It's on page 477. If you're just joining us, if you're here for the first time this morning, we're, we're in a series where we're talking about cleaning up the messes in our world. We're talking about how God calls us and uses us to sometimes clean up things that are broken in our world. And so at the beginning of this book of Nehemiah, what we saw was a physical mess. We saw a a wall that was raised from ruins, a physical wall, the wall around the ancient city of Jerusalem. That wall was rebuilt in 52 days. Amazing feat. In spite of all the opposition they encountered, the lack of resources. And last week, 
Pastor Chuck led us into starting to think about this community of people who lived there in Jerusalem being raised from ruins in a spiritual sense. There was an internal, there was an inner life work that needed to begin and go on in the lives of these people. Sometimes the external work, the physical wall that gets rebuilt, sometimes that's the easy part. The inner life, the spiritual life renewal can take years and years and years. And what we're going to see in the book of Nehemiah is that while it took 52 days to rebuild the physical wall, it's going to take years and years and years to rebuild this community in their faith. That's where sometimes the really hard work is. But it began last week with people realizing that they, they needed to hear from God again. And they needed to respond to God with their heart, and we're going to see it today with their hands. And before we, before we get into this and talk, talk about aligning these things, I want us just to pray this morning, because you, we, we need to hear from God this morning. You don't need to hear from me and my opinions. We, we need to hear from the Lord. So I want to just invite him to, to speak to us this morning. Father, we just simply ask that of you. Would you just speak to our hearts this morning? Uh, Lord, I, I pray that people would hear beyond my words, and as they read your words on the page and on the screen, that may, may your spirit use those things to speak to each one of us where we are in our life. I don't know where each person is. I don't know the circumstances of each person's life, their history, the future that they're looking toward. You do. And so, Lord, would you speak a word of encouragement, conviction, whatever it is that they need, and Lord, open our ears to hear from you, I pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Nehemiah chapter 10. I actually want to go back one verse into chapter 9, verse 38. is where we're going to begin this morning. It says, Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. Okay, pause there for a second. Because we need to ask the question, because of all this, because of all this what? Because of all what? Anytime you're reading scripture, it's a good thing to ask questions of it and to understand what's the context where we, we don't just pick verses out of thin air and make them mean what we want them to mean. What is he talking about because of all this? Well, what he's talking about is what Pastor Chuck talked to us about last week in chapters uh, uh, eight, uh, 7, 8, 9 of Nehemiah. And to kind of summarize that, I want to take you back to a verse in chapter 8. So if you'd flip back to chapter 8, verse 9, this kind of captures what was going on, moving towards their inner life. It says in in chapter 8, verse 9, Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So what was happening was, Ezra, who was the priest, was, was reading the law of God to them. He was reintroducing to them the words of God. They had gotten away from that for years and years, and they were just living with this broken down physical wall, and they were not worshiping, they were not studying what God had told them and the laws that God had laid out. And as they heard this law being read to them, they were struck, they were convicted, they realized God's standard is so perfect What he calls us to is so high, and where where our life is, is so there's such a gap. I fall so far short of what God has called me to. They were weeping and they were mourning. 
That's an appropriate heart response. When your head gets information that God's standard is up here and your life is down here, it's an appropriate heart response to be moved and to say, I I weep over my sin. I weep over the fact that I would even want to do something, God, that you don't want me to do. I'm sorry for that. They were weeping and they were mourning, but it goes on to say, "Don't, don't weep and don't mourn. The joy of the Lord is your strength. See, the good news is God wants us, it's appropriate for us to mourn and to weep when we realize how far short we fall, but we can also rejoice because we have a God who is a forgiving God. And because Christ has stood in that gap for us, lived the perfect life that we could not live, given his life as a sacrifice, you and I can be forgiven of our sins, and so we can rejoice We can be happy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We don't have to stay mourning and weeping and having our hearts moved. But now, back to, now we can understand what it's talking about in Nehemiah 9, verse 38. Because of all this, because because we heard God's law being taught and we recognize that we fell short of it, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. So they said, you know what? We, We heard with our head, this information. We were moved in our heart to mourn and weep over how far short we fall. But we took it a step beyond that and we said, we're going to make a covenant in writing. We're going to be very specific about the things that we're going to do differently as a result of understanding what God expects of us. So we're going to make a firm covenant in writing. little side note here. Uh, Life coaches tell us, they've done studies to say, that when you write down goals in your life, you're 42% more likely to reach those goals just by writing them down. Maybe you don't even employ any new kind of system to help you with that, but just by writing them down, there's an accountability to that. And so they say, we're going to make a firm covenant in writing. And they outline three things that that we're going to look at. And those three things are separation in our closest relationships. Um, We'll we'll explain what that means. Sabbath, so how do we relate to our work? And then stewardship, how do we relate to our money? The first two we're going to, these could all three be complete messages. We could take all that time. But we're going to move through the first two pretty quickly touch on those, and then we're going to camp a little bit on the third one, because that's what Nehemiah does. He spends a lot more time on that. So we're going to skip down uh, in verse 10. We're not going to read all of that in verse 10, because what, what there is there is a list of people who signed this covenant. I'm going to let that bless you as you read that on your own later on. We're not going to read through all those names. But in verse 28, it says, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to do what? What's the next word? Walk in God's law. To walk in God. So they're putting feet to their faith. Okay, we're not just going to hear what God says, we're not just going to be moved by it in our hearts, but we're going to make a covenant to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our 
Lord and his rules and his statutes. So they say, we're, we're going to put feet to our faith. We're not going to stop with our head and our heart. We're going to let it work its way out in our hands and in our feet. So these three specific areas now that they have committed themselves to. The first is separation in their closest relationships. Look at verse 30. This is, remember, this is the content of their covenant. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Okay, it's talking about marriage here, obviously. And what they're saying is we're not going to intermarry with the people around us in the surrounding nations. Okay, the reason for that is that God told them over and over again that other peoples, that, that God had revealed himself to the people of Israel, said, I'm the one true God. The peoples around them were all worshiping false gods. They were worshiping idols. And so God said, if you unite yourself with these people in the closest relationship of marriage, they're going to they're gonna draw you away. See, our closest relationships either draw us towards God or they push us away from God. They draw us away from God. And so that's very clear in marriage. That's why God calls us, do, do not marry someone who is not on the same page with you spiritually. That's why when I do, when, when we do pre-marriage preparation with a couple, that's the primary question that I ask them is, tell me about your relationship with God. And I want to hear if they are on the same page, if they both come to a point of putting their faith in Jesus Christ, because if they have not both come to that point, I say, I'm sorry, I can't marry you, because that is the primary relationship of your life. You need to be on the same page in that area. I'm going to expand, I want to expand the principle just a little bit to, to just apply to all of the closest relationships in our life, because some of you aren't married, but you need to be asking this question about your best friends. Who are your best friends? Proverbs 13, verse 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So you need, it, it's good to take an inventory of your life and say, Are my closest relationships drawing me towards God or drawing me away from God? When we talk about separation, I'm, please understand, I'm not talking about don't talk to anybody who doesn't believe the same way you do. Don't associate with them. Don't be friends at all with them. But who are your closest friends? Someone has said that you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So if you take inventory of the five people that you spend the most time with, is that what you want to become? Because that's, that's kind of the direction that you are headed. Now, my closest friend is my wife. And she's not here this morning. She's in Texas visiting her mom. So I'm not going to say how great she is. I'm going to save that for a time when she is here and she can <laughs> hear it firsthand. But I do want to share with you about uh, someone who's close to me that I spend a lot of time with who is influencing me in a positive direction. And that is Glenn Ely, who is our elder chairman. I'm so privileged to come into a church that has a great board of elders. And in particular, just the, the amount of time that Glenn and I spend together. Last week was his birthday. And so if you missed it, you're too late, you know, don't offer him happy birthday now. But on his birthday, I, I sent him a note, and I just said to him, Glenn, I, I so appreciate you in my life because you, you spur me to work harder, you spur me to love people better, to be more generous, just to be a, a better person. I'm thankful to have you in my life. 
Do you have someone that you are close to who is spurring you to be a better person? These people made a covenant to say, we're going to reserve our closest relationships to be with people who are on the same page spiritually pursuing God with a whole heart. Separation. The second thing has to do with Sabbath. So what is our relationship to our work? Verse 31. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. God had commanded his people to set aside the Sabbath day, the seventh day. He said, Don't, no, no work on the seventh day. That was hard then. It's hard now. Because our, our world is such that, I mean, we just drive and drive and drive every day of the week. And we have, you know, our laptops and we have our phones and we're constantly connected to the work that needs to be done and the work never stops. And God calls us to set aside a day. Don't, don't get hung up on, is it the seventh day or is it the first day? I mean, th- this is the first day of the week where most of you may take as a day off. It's not my day off. We, we have to pick a day that we can set aside, and God says, I want you to set this aside by faith. This is putting feet to our faith. It takes faith for you to be able to set that stuff aside and believe that, you know, if I go for 24 hours without checking my email, the world is not going to come to a grinding halt. Right? That takes faith. That's a, that's a reality. But this was one of the covenants that these people made. We are going to look different than the world around us by setting aside, having a relationship with work that says, I'm not going to be enslaved to my work. I'm going to set a day aside. We could do a whole message on both of those points, but I want to get to this third one because Nehemiah spends the most time here, and that is on our stewardship. What is our relationship with our money? Verse 32, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give. Okay, pause there for a second. I know the sentence goes on and we, we will go on reading it, but I want to stop there. At the obliga- we take on ourselves the obligation to give. Not, not an option to give, but I'm, I'm going to obligate myself to, to give. And what follows here are some specific examples that these people committed to give. These specific examples don't apply to us today because we don't do the same sacrificial system and we don't burn offerings on wood. And so these specific things don't apply to us. But when we finish reading these, we're going to pull back to see the principle that is here for us to obligate to give. So verse 32 again, we we also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. Verse 34, we the priests, the Levites, and the peoples have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. Verse 35, we obligate ourselves to bring. But pay, pay attention from here on uh, how many times the word bring gets, gets uh, repeated. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground the first fruits of all fruit, 
of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord, also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it's written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. So here's the principle. Okay? So step back from that, this long list of I'm going to bring the first fruits, I'm going to bring the first fruits, I'm going to bring the best of everything that God has given to me. Okay? So whether that is food, whether that is uh, the, the cattle, the livestock, my children, to dedicate them to the Lord. I'm going to bring the first fruits of everything that God has given to me. I'm going to give it back to him. I'm going to dedicate it back to him because he calls us to give our first and our best. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And so we see in, in this passage in Nehemiah, we see the word tithe mentioned here. So that gets mentioned quite a bit in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament. The tithe was one-tenth. So that was a baseline to, to give back to God. In the New Testament, the tithe does not get recommanded, but there is a, a statement about giving proportionately according to what God has given to us. So, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. As he may prosper. As God blesses you, you are to set aside proportionately, and that verse goes on to talk about bringing that for the work of God and to support churches and their, their work. And so the New Testament, once Jesus has come, never lowers the bar. It always raises the bar. So we wouldn't say that we don't have to do a tithe anymore. We don't have to do a one-tenth. That's, that's a baseline for us. And we would believe that God has blessed us so richly we can go beyond that. And so the proportion can be even, even more than a tenth. See, God calls us to give a portion back because of the fact that we are stewards Okay, we're talking about this in terms of stewardship. Do you know what a steward is? A steward is someone who takes care of something that belongs to someone else. So, for example, my next door neighbor, uh, we, we entered into a, a little contract, a little covenant here during this winter because she has a snowblower and I don't. And I discovered that she had this snowblower that's been sitting in her garage for four years and she hasn't used it. And I'm like, hey, why don't we talk about this? Because I don't have a snowblower. How about if, if I can use your snowblower, I'll do your property and my property. So it's kind of a win-win. And she's like, hey, yeah, that sounds good. So I now have her snowblower in my garage. I actually took it to Tanner's and I, I got it all ready to go because it had been sitting in the garage for four years and I didn't want to break it. And so I'm like taking care of this thing even better than I would take care of it if it belonged to me because it's hers and I want to re return it to her in perfect condition. And so sometimes I'm fretting over my kids in the garage and their bikes and stuff like that. Like, hey, don't, don't touch the snowblower. Okay, don't break the snowblower because I don't own it. I'm just taking care of it for someone else. And so the resources that you and I have, we don't own that. We're just taking care of it for 
God's purposes. So we could, we could look at these bricks here as kind of the, the total sum of the resources that God grants to us to rebuild the walls in our life, to carry out the work that God has called us to do, whether that's in your home, or that's at your workplace, or in your community, wherever that work is that God has given you to do. Every resource that you and I have belongs to God. It comes from God. He is the source of all things. And so God says, if, if this is all of your resources, if this represents all of that, I want you to give the first tenth of that back to me as a picture of and a reminder that it all belongs to him and that really all of it needs to be submitted to him. And God, what do you want me to do with the rest of it? It doesn't mean, okay, God, I'm going to give you one piece of that back and now I'm done. Now the other nine bricks belong to me. That's not what it means. It means the other nine bricks still belong to you. And so how can I honor you with all of it? But it begins with giving him back a piece that the first fruits of, of those finances and those resources. See, really giving is just one piece of, of a bigger picture of, of having healthy finances spiritually. There, there's giving and there's saving and then there's spending. What do I do with the, the rest that's left over after I give and after I save? And so there's a whole, uh, there's a whole approach that we need to have that starts with understanding it all comes from God. And so we're going to be offering a class sometime in the near future to help people who want to walk through that and get a handle on their finances. You may look at your finances and say, wow, this is a mess. It, it's a mess. It's a wall that's broken down that needs to be cleaned up. I need some help with this. So we're going to be offering a class that helps us walk through those aspects of, well, how do I give? How do I save? And then how do I spend? How do I honor God with, with my money? And so if you're interested in that, you can make a note on your connection card, or you can shoot us an email, or just let us know, but we'll be announcing it uh, w when it comes, but uh, we want to help us have, we want to help all of us to have healthy finances that, that honor the Lord. This is so, this is so important, I think, in this area where we live, because there is so much financial wealth here, but you can be wealthy financially and you can be spiritually in poverty. And one of the reasons why people can be wealthy financially and spiritually impoverished is because they're holding on to all of it. Because they're hoarding all of the resources and they think it's mine and I need to make it work. And God says, no, I need you to release your grip on that and give back to my work. The last, uh, the last uh, verse of chapter 10 says that the people of Israel, the sons of Levi, shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. Listen to this last sentence. We will not neglect the house of our God. So they're bringing these contributions, they're bringing these tithes to support the work of God in their community. You're here this morning for some reason. Maybe somebody dragged you here. You didn't want to be here. I'm not sure. Or, or maybe you're coming. I hope you're coming because God speaks to you during this time and God fills you up and replenishes you and recharges you for another week. I, I hope that's why you're coming. If you come here and in some way, shape, or form, you're receiving something from being here, 
and you're not giving back to the work here, that's not healthy for you, and you should stop doing that. I don't mean stop coming, because you keep coming and sitting under what God wants to say to you, but you should not be taking in and taking in and not giving back. That's never healthy. It's never healthy to just be a taker and not be a giver. And one of the, the key indicators of our spiritual health, if God was your doctor and sitting down with you and you brought your, your life before him and he said, wow, you're kind of sickly in this area and that area, if he's going to take your vital signs, one of the key indicators he's going to look at is what are you doing with your finances? How are you handling that? Are you putting me first? It's like the doctor taking your blood pressure, just getting a basic baseline of, of how you're doing. So Jesus felt this was so important. He said in Matthew chapter 6, he said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot put money in the primary first place and God in the primary first place. There's only one primary first place. And so you have to choose. And God says one of the ways that you show and put feet to your faith and put it in action that you're putting God first is say, I'm going to release my grip on my finances and I'm going to give proportionately back to you. Malachi chapter 3 has a wonderful challenge, a, a really hard challenge, but, but also a wonderful promise. Um, God takes this very seriously. Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? God says. But you say, how have we robbed you? In our tithes and our contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And now listen to this promise. Thereby put me to the test. This is one of the few times God says, put me to a test. See if I'll come through for you. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. We cannot outgive God. And so God says, I dare you. I dare you. Put me first. Give me the first fruits and see if I will not bless you. And so, so here's, here's the challenge for us. And I want to I um, go back one screen there. I want to make uh, one little point here in that first part there. It talks about your tithes and your contributions. Okay? Basically, your, uh, your tithes and your offerings, your giving, there's two categories for those. Our tithes are something that God calls us to do out of obedience. Okay? Our offerings then, our contributions are over and above whatever tithe, whatever proportionate giving you, you're giving. So, we, as a, we, we have as a value here at, as a church, one of our core values is generosity, that we'd be generous people and give generously. When we tithe, when we do a baseline of giving back to God our first fruits, that is not generosity. Okay, I want to be clear about that. That is not generosity, that's just obedience. When we give over and above our tithe, that is generosity. When, when you give to the food pantry, when you fill up one of these bags and give us back, that's generosity. When your heart is moved and you sense that God is wanting you to give to something uh, in addition to your tithe, that's generosity. 
And my prayer is, and has been for some time now, is that we would be a church characterized by steady stewardship, that we are just being obedient to God with that first 10% or whatever proportion you feel before him that you're, you're giving. Steady stewardship and then gutsy generosity. That when there's a special project coming, and I, I have to tell you just a quick snapshot. I mean, our staff and our elders have been talking about some of the things that we're dreaming about for the years to come. We've got some very exciting things on the horizon. That would be gutsy generosity over and above just the basic ministry that, that goes on. And I'm praying that we'd be characterized by both. But here's, here's my challenge to you, if, if you're not doing this already, so here's your assignment for this week, is to figure out this tithe part, this one-tenth part, and that is very simply this. Go home and take your pay stub out and just move the decimal point over one place. What's one-tenth of what God is giving you as a resource, that is what you owe back to him. That's what he says, not me. That's what Malachi told us. And he says, if you will give that back to me, here's my challenge to you, my encouragement to you, is for the next three months, just commit to do it for three months. Maybe the bottom will fall out of your finances. You're like, man, this was the worst idea I ever tried. But just do it for three months. And then I would love to hear from you at the end of that three months. What did God do in your life? Did he come through on his promise? I, I have enough confidence in God's promise that if you take him up on it, he's going to be faithful to you in ways that you probably cannot even imagine. I know that's a step of faith. This is why we're talking about putting feet to your faith. It's not just in my head and in my heart. I'm, I'm living it out. I'm walking it out, even in some areas of my life where it may be very challenging. Please understand that me talking about this this morning has nothing to do with the needs that we have as a church. This has everything to do with your personal, spiritual health, and with you becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus. I am more concerned about you being a fully committed follower of Jesus and being obedient to him than I'm concerned about our church's finances, because God's going to provide for, for what we need. And in fact, if you're listening to this and you're like, man, this is just a huckster, that I know, I know what's going on here. I know he's just doing this stuff, and he's just trying to get more money in here. If you, if you think that, and you don't trust me in this, then give your money to someone else, somewhere else. Just make sure it's a ministry that is forwarding God's purposes and God's gospel in the world. Just make sure of, of that. You don't have to give it here. I'm, I'm concerned that you be obedient and that you get an opportunity to see God bless you because you're loosening your grip on the resources that he's given you. Put feet to our faith. We talked about... Um, putting feet to our faith in our closest relationships, in our relationship with work, in our relationship with our money. Maybe God has spoken to your heart in some way in, in one of those areas this morning. We're, we're going to pray, and then we're, then we're going to take the offering. We're, we're going to honor God by giving back to him this morning. I thought it would be a good idea to, to save our offering until after this morning so that we could put feet to our faith right away here this morning to honor him. So let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for blessing us so generously. God, God, you are a God who meets our baseline needs of food and shelter and clothing and, and even love. I mean, you meet our baseline needs, but you go so far beyond that. You are so generous 
with us. May we become a people who are like you. May, may we become a people who give back to you the baseline in obedience that you ask us to out of our finances and other resources you've given us, but may we go beyond that and be generous so that we look like you and we love you with all of our heart and we put feet to our faith. I pray for the person who is here this morning and you've spoken to their heart in one of these areas uh, of, of their closest relationships, their relationship with their work and their relationship with, with money. And Lord, I pray that you would give them courage and, and strength to take a next step and, and not just stop at their head or their heart, but to, to work this out with their hands and walk it out with their feet. Lord, uh, that our lives may be more and more pleasing to you because you deserve it. Let me pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.